Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites, the paediatric podcast aimed at paediatric trainees or anyone interested in child health. I'm Asim, one of the presenters of Dragon Bites and a trainee here in Wales. Today we have the next episode in a series of cardiology lectures by Professor Orhan Uzun, fetal cardiology consultant at the University Hospital of Wales. For the next few episodes, we're going to be focusing on transposition of the great arteries. And this one is going to be about management of transposition. So let's get started. Shall we move to uh, management? I believe so, yeah. How would you start the management? How would you describe it? We would always start with ABC. Baby, baby is... Uh, airways are open, um, breathing is fast, 70-80. Shall we put baby on 100% oxygen? Yes, because that will also be part of our investigation anyway, but we've got a baby who's cyanotic and breathing fast. I think we should be putting the baby on oxygen. Are you sure? Think carefully. Well, uh, so, uh, yeah, I suppose one of the difficulties is if this is a duct-dependent lesion, then hyperoxygenating them, wouldn't that make the duct close faster? Yes, that is the point I am trying to draw your attention to. If the baby is saturating at 80%, 85%, there is no need to put baby on excessive oxygen, 100% oxygen. Because oxygen is stimulus, as you said, for the ductal constriction. So breathing, unless it is quite... Uh, labored, we would not consider putting baby on oxygen. But if the saturation is dropping down, then you need to put baby on oxygen. So, so realistically, what what sort of saturations would be would you say would be acceptable for us to just live with in in a baby like this if they didn't look like they were working too hard? I was expecting this. I was trying to provoke you to ask that question. So I. So the saturations always, always between 75 and 90 range is the safe range. Remember, 75 to 90. Uh, if it goes over 90, then you're over shunting. If it is over 95, no doubt this baby is going to go into heart failure and develop some symptoms. So you, you might tip over to other side and lead to congestive heart failure in addition to other problems that we might we might have. So be careful, 75 to 90 usually. So mid, mid 80 is the um, desirable range. 8, 8 to 85, we're comfortable with that. So before oxygenation, uh, or before considering giving a lot of oxygen, we should, we must obtain IV access. Would you agree? Yes, I suppose it would be really important because of our initial treatment plan for the baby. It is the most important step, believe me. The reason we need to get an IV line, uh, naturally, the same process can occur very quickly. Doctors may shut and baby may also have foramen ovale closed completely within hours, if not within days. That's why we need to get IV access as the first step. And presumably, from what I've heard, 
if you don't establish IV access early, there's a risk that as everything shuts down, the baby might become peripherally shut down as well. So it might be difficult to obtain IV access on if they become even more critical. Exactly. I would go even further and they may not even be successfully resuscitated. Not even uh, one site of access. I would urge you to get at least two. Why we might need two? Well, so if you're going to be starting a prostaglandin infusion, that would be one line occupied there. And you might well need a second line for administration of other medicines or fluids or whatever else you may need. Does that sound reasonable? Excellent. More than reasonable. Absolutely brilliant. Why would you need a dedicated line for prostin or prostaglandin E1? Well, because, I mean, you need a continuous infusion in order to keep that duct open, don't you? So the moment you interrupt that infusion, that duct will start closing again. That's one. Second? I have, I'm afraid I don't have a second, Professor Uzu. Oh, well, I'm, sure that, I'm sure it'll be obvious the moment you say. Well, you've done your bit, so it's my turn now. So you should have said, <laughs> well, it's your turn now, Dr. Uzun. <laughs> All right, then. Um, second reason uh, would be if you give additional medication with prostaglandin E1, you may over-infuse prostin. What does prostaglandin E1 uh, cause in those babies if it is given high doses or rapid infusion, it leads to apnea. We also have prostin-related side effects such as temperature, about 38 degrees, um, it increases temperature, it might lead to jitterness, it might also lead to um, sometime tendency to catch other infections. So sepsis is described, can occur, uh, if prostin is given prolonged periods of time, not in the acute phase, but in the prolonged period of uh, time, if baby needs it uh, days and weeks, or temperature rises, in addition to acute effect of apnea. Would you guess any range uh, for us to give prostaglandin to babies without the need for intubating? I'm afraid I don't know the ranges off the top of my head for prostaglandin. Um, I, I think I'd probably end up having to look it up at the time of needing it. Absolutely. You, I think you did say uh, the correct thing. I must look it up. Never ever make assumption in terms of prostin doses. Please look it up. That is the reason I was trying to prompt you to say. And I so five nanogram, five nanogram, does it sound correct dose per kilogram? Five nanogram per kilogram per minute. Um, I genuinely haven't got, I would not be able to put that in context at all. It sounds like nanogram sounds like a tiny dose, but it might be entirely appropriate for a, for a neonate. Yes, that's how it should be. It should be tiny dose, five nanogram per kilogram per minute is the safe dose in well babies. If the duct is widely open, if the ductus is widely open, if we confirm that on echocardiogram, if the saturation remains around 80s, then five is perfectly okay. So we give it between five and 10. So we titrate it according to a baby's response. If the saturation drop into 70s, you can go up to 7.5 and 10. 
But if baby is unwell, then you shouldn't start from low dose and gradually go up. Starting dose in those babies should be 25 nanogram per kilogram per minute. So if well baby, 5 nanogram per kilogram per minute. If the saturation drop into 70s, you can go up to 10 nanogram, so 7.5, 10, 15, by watching babies breathing, of course, avoiding apnea. But if we have to ventilate the baby, baby is breathless, not well, not responding, and acidotic uh, lactate is rising, and therefore these babies need intubating. When you intubate and the duct on echocardiogram looks small, despite 10 nanogram, then you need to increase it to 25 nanogram. If baby is collapsed and resuscitating, and there is suspicion of transposition, I would not recommend starting 5 nanogram, but I would start these babies at 25 nanogram per kilogram per minute. So if baby is well, small doses for safety um, concerns, but if the baby is unstable, uh, need resuscitating fluid and in shock, I would start with 25. In some babies, you may go up to 50. You may go up to 100 during resuscitation for a few minutes, remember. If the baby is ventilated, intubated, you're not going to cause any harm, remember. If baby's saturation is not recovering, if baby is ventilated and you're given fluid, boluses, and baby's blood pressure is, is um, good and adequate, and you need to give 25, 50, 75, 100. I have had cases where I had to give 100 nanogram per kilogram per minute, and that those babies are still alive, and they are into, into their teenage years. So you've got to look at this scenario and look at the also baby's uh, respiratory support. If you're not intubating, uh, then 25 probably would suffice. But if you're not uh, stabilizing baby, baby is intubated, ventilated, then you can go up further to 50 for a few minutes so that the duct can respond to it. You can do it when cardiologist there under echo guidance and you can look at as you infuse higher doses the ductus will get larger once baby is stable then you can cut the dose back again down to 25 10 and wherever it is stable so we stabilize baby on prostin then you need to consider transferring this baby across to a surgical center cardiology center for surgical intervention before surgical intervention, there is one more procedure to do. Um, balloon atrial septostomy is an interim procedure that will allow us to stop prostin. And baby can be left alone for a few days until PVR or pulmonary vascular resistance drops. So what we do, we insert a cannula into a baby's femoral vein and we push a balloon tip tipped catheter into the right atrium and cross the foramen ovale into the left atrium. Then we inject saline into the balloon and inflate it and tuck it back 
and pull it tightly and tear the foramen ovale um, section of the primum septum and create large atrial communication. And that is a simple procedure and usually done without general anesthetic on the intensive care unit and the results are excellent. We do not undertake surgery straight away, but we leave these babies alone for a few days, usually around five, six days before we do corrective surgery. There are three major reasons. One, you want to have a stable baby in theater, correct? How do you achieve that stability? By stopping prostin, by performing atrial septostomy. And the, and the third reason is to wait for PVR to drop, pulmonary vascular resistance to drop, to avoid pulmonary hypertensive crisis after surgery. And also there is a fourth reason to look at these babies from other perspective because they might have additional system and um, other system abnormalities like renal disease, kidney disease, brain abnormalities. So you want to exclude comorbidities. These patients can be surgically managed with arterial switch operation in modern era where aorta and the pulmonary artery are put into their correct ventricles and also coronary arteries are re-implanted into the aortic trunk on the left side. The other operations are used in patients with additional lesions such as pulmonary stenosis and large VSD and they involve more complicated procedures like Rastella procedure or Nikaido procedure. And what I would say um, in terms of prognosis, um, these prognosis uh, for patients with detransposition is excellent following surgical correction. And current survival rate, as I said, in the UK is over 99%. And they give only 1%, 1% to 2% risk of not surviving operation for legal reasons. Survival to 25 years is more than 95% with very good hemodynamic results and good quality of life. Uh, but up to 10%, as I said, requiring further operation as a result of leaky valves or dilated aortic root. And some of transposition patients following arterial switch operation, about 10% may also develop branch pulmonary artery stenosis. Um, and of that 10%, not all of them would require operation. Again, I would say 10% of those patients with branch pulmonary artery stenosis may need reoperation to enlarge narrowing. That's that's the most common problem uh, in seeing in uh, transposition patients, but it's more benign than perhaps aortic root dilatation and aortic regurgitation. Coronary artery pathology, as I said, is, is exceedingly rare in modern era. One thing recently everybody is concentrating on neurological outcome of these babies following surgery. 
whether these patients may have ADHD or may have learning difficulties that is um, subject to uh, further research. Um, poor exercise performance can only be seen in patients with poor hemodynamic results, but neurodevelopmental impairment is the hot topic and some centers are reporting between 30 and 60% of adolescents and adults experiencing some educational needs and ADHD type illnesses. So that's something that we will find out in the future, but there isn't any, any con conclusion as to whether this is directly related to transposition or result of bypass surgery or result of chronic hypoxemia in intrauterine life. Well, I am going to perhaps uh, stop here and uh, ask you whether you want to add anything or ask any further questions so we can go through a few bits and bobs. Uh, no, to be honest, I think all the questions I have are probably outside of the scope of this podcast anyway, and they're more out of my own personal interest than they would be of use to the listener. Why don't you ask those for personal reasons? We can put it at the end as addendum for those enthusiasts. They want to go uh, to Somail. Yes. And thank you to Professor Orhan Uzun for that episode. And join us again next week where we'll be doing another episode, this time focusing on an in-depth understanding of the surgical management of transposition of the great arteries. Thank you for listening to Dragon Bites.